Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Stephen Kreisick of the Lotto Jumbo team as well. And Adam Yates of Orica Green Edge and Anthony Turgis, who had a little bit of a tumble as he headed in towards Scarborough, but stayed on his bike. Great Britain have won their first medal. It was Adam Peaty in a world record time, breaking his own world record. She punches the air and she crosses that blue finish line. The world champion of 12 months ago, who finished second here last time around, has won it. The Athletes' Village is not a place for fighting. I've never heard that ever in Olympic and Paralympic history. This is Anything But Footy, the Olympic and Paralympic sport podcast, covering the games all the time rather than just once every four years. I'm Michael. And I'm John. And coming up in this episode, phew, what a weekend. This is my favourite time of the year as the summer sports we all know and love begin to dominate football. Well, nearly anyway. Yes, a lot to wrap up from this week. Cycling, rowing, athletics, judo. Diving, triathlon, feel free to join in. Add something if I've forgotten it. (laughs) Well, if you have forgotten it, we'll round it up in our news from the games. Oh yes, hockey and skateboard. And as ever, you can let us know what you think and get in touch at any time. At Anything But F on Twitter or messages on Insta. And check out our sporting summer calendar for 2023 and all our latest blogs on all things sport, audio and radio at anythingbutfooty.com. We'll start with cycling and what I think is probably the biggest issue facing sport at the moment. I think one of the bigger issues of recent years facing certainly elite sport was doping. Uh, But I certainly think this issue has eclipsed that in the last few weeks, months and certainly in the last year or so. And we'll start with news from British cycling. Trans women have been banned from competing in women's elite British cycling events. Now, this is a decision by British cycling. The world body, the world governing body is called the UCI. They are yet to announce anything definitive, unlike world athletics and world swimming. So let's look at the detail of this. It's a policy for competitive activity that covers all British cycling sanctioned competitive events in this country. So that includes things like qualification for the upcoming Olympics, world championships and the like. 
it will see the implementation of a new open category alongside a female category. So transgender women, transgender men, non-binary individuals and those whose sex was assigned male at birth will be eligible to compete in this new open category. The female category will remain in place for those whose sex was assigned female at birth and transgender men who are yet to begin hormone therapy. Those whose sex was assigned female at birth are also able to compete in the open category if they so wish. So let's talk about Emily Bridges, who mm. set a national junior men's record over 25 miles in 2018, but transitioned to become a transgender woman in October 2020. Her reaction on Instagram, she said British Cycling didn't care about making sport more diverse. Cycling is still one of the whitest, straightest sports out there and you couldn't care less. So cycling, following athletics, swimming, triathlon, and both codes of rugby have made this move. It's the first big decision for the new CEO, John Dutton. And whilst I would say I welcome the clarity, I would also say I recognise that no solution is perfect for everybody. Mm. And I think me and you don't appreciate we're two white middle-class men in the nicest possible way, and we don't understand what it what it what it feels like, what people are going through and the emotions. And it's a pretty strongly worded statement from, from Emily Bridges. But I think what British Cycling have been trying to say, and this is why they've come out with the non-competitive element of this as well, where they said like the Breeze programme, which was for women only, that will remain open and inclusive of all trans women as well. So they're just trying to separate the elite side of it, but, but being open about it as well. And they're just trying to be fair. And I suppose that's the thing that I look at, Michael, and, and this is my opinion, entirely my opinion, is that at present, science says that male puberty gives an advantage. Arguably, it's why women's sport categories were started more than 100 years ago. Remember, women didn't compete in the Olympics uh, previously, um, and they couldn't be fair against their male counterparts. So ultimately, elite sport is about competitive level playing field. And I think that's what British Cycling uh, are looking at doing. But you're absolutely right. The UCI, the main cycling governing body, hasn't ruled on this. I understand that will be coming in August. Staying with cycling, Britain's Geraint Thomas finished second in the Giro d'Italia. He described it as being raw after being the leader for much of the final week. The 37-year-old was edged out by Primoz Roglic. Thomas will now focus on the Glasgow World Championships and a possible ride in the Vuelta a España as well. The Welsh cyclist wasn't expected to be a contender, actually, but he showed terrific form this week after a frustrating winter where he was dogged by illness. Elsewhere, Mark Cavendish was helped by his friend Geraint Thomas, despite <laughs> the fact they're on different teams. This is the definition of sportsmanship, isn't it? Mm. Uh, because Mark Cavendish won that final stage after Geraint Thomas led him out. Cavendish announced this week he'll retire at the end of the season what a career an olympic silver medalist a record equaling 35 tour de france stage wins will he get ahead of eddie Merckx this summer we'll have to wait and see a rainbow jersey winner in other words a world champion back in 2011 quite a career as i say and someone that we have spoken to and met on occasion a controversial figure at times, Mark Cavendish. Some people could find him abrasive. I always remember when we speak about Mark Cavendish, a walk that you and I took with a couple of close colleagues of ours, uh, a guy who works for Sky called Richard Newman and a guy who works for the Press Association called Phil Barnett. Now, another, none of us in the worlds of journalism 
are shrinking violets. But what had happened the day before was that Mark Cavendish in Rio had been involved in the Omnium. He was involved in a bad crash with Park Sang-hung of South Korea. Also, Elia Viviani, who'd gone on and won the gold and was the race leader. leader. And uh, he'd got into a bit of an argument <laughs> with some journalists from different countries That's who right. thought that after this altercation, he should have been disqualified. And um, I think he had actually threatened to sue some of the journalists for asking him and questioning him about this event. So he'd actually won that silver medal, which meant that we, the four of us, had the opportunity to go and interview him. And as I said, not shrinking violets, not backwards and coming forwards. When it comes to interviewing and putting the difficult and the tough questions to athletes. But I remember walking up to meet Mark Cavendish this morning and we were all saying to each other, well, who's going to ask him about the Omnium and the crash? And I think we all said, right, this is the plan. And I think we've told this story before. This is the plan. We'll get all the nice stuff about winning the medal because, of course, despite being part of such really successful British Olympic and British cycling teams. He'd never won an Olympic medal. It was his first Olympic medal. We'll, say, we'll get all the nice stuff out of the way. And I said, look, I'll just go with it at the end. And if he wants to cut us off, well, so be it. That's what will happen. Mm. And we got there and we all tentatively put our microphones out <laughs> and Phil put his camera out and everything else. And we said, well, congratulations. You finally got your hands on that Olympic medal, Mark. And he just cut us dead, didn't he? And went, no, first thing I've got to say is uh, apologies to Park Sang-hung. I've spoken to him this morning. I've spoken mm. to his coach this morning. Yes, it was my fault, but the rules allowed me to continue in the Omnium. And we were all a bit taken aback by it, if you recall. It's a great story. I've totally forgotten about that. Absolutely. And I think it's really interesting what you say, that he, he came over so well and he got away and he slept on it and he realised you know, he needed to say something. And I think, what a great example. A, he's been as a cyclist, but also uh, off the uh, the track and the road as well. Uh, right, rightly so. What a great story. Yeah, I always just think sometimes we forget how raw it is in the immediate aftermath. And I think it was the immediate aftermath where Mark Cavendish was first answering those questions. And as you say, he had to sleep on it, got a night's sleep under his belt, got some breakfast in, and then was greeted by our four ugly mugs. Sorry, Richard. <laughs> Sorry, Phil. Don't apologise to you. Um, was greeted by our four ugly mugs literally at seven o'clock the following morning before doing the rounds of the TV studios. And, and yeah, you're quite right. Having, having slept on it, he was a, a very different figure that morning. Uh, staying with Cycling London, the capital has staged the Ride London Classique recently. Charlotte Cool of the Netherlands won. Lizzie Dagenham finished third overall. Brilliant three stages. Another great showcase in this country for women's road racing. And that is not always the case. A lot of countries, I think, need to catch up as far as women's road racing is concerned. And I should say as well, we are always in favour on anything but footy of a mass participation sporting event mm. that gets people out, gets people active, and Ride London certainly did that. Yeah, 25,000 riders uh, on the streets of London and Essex as well. It's the 10th anniversary, actually, of Ride London. You'll remember it started uh, down in Surrey uh, following the road race uh, Olympic course from 2012 where uh, Sir Bradley Wiggins, of course, was uh, crowned Olympic champion. But uh, great to see that continuing and the streets of London uh, full of cyclists as well. Uh, talking of sportsmanship, which Michael brought up uh, just a few moments ago, we will be talking about that a little bit later on in the pod and when we talk about tennis and so much to cover uh, in this episode. But we're going to talk about rowing uh, right now. And you mentioned Lizzie Dynan 
uh, Michael there. She's just come back from her second baby. Um, I think it was about eight months ago um, and, and performing brilliantly in the uh, in the classic. Uh, well, of course, the big rowing news this week has all been around Helen Glover, a yep. double Olympic champion, uh, mum, of course, uh, as well, and uh, competing competitively uh, for the first time since Tokyo. You'll remember she went to Tokyo as a double uh, Olympic champion in London 2012 and Rio 2016 and uh, went back to, to Tokyo quite late on in the day uh, with Polly Swan and unfortunately just came fourth, uh, which was a position that unfortunately British rowing uh, got quite used to in Tokyo and it wasn't their, their greatest uh, performance. In fact, their worst, I think, Olympic performance in, in 50 years. Um, but she's back. In a women's four, and it's not just about her, Rebecca Shorten, Rowan McKellar and Heidi Long were in this women's four and it's the European Rowing Championships that have taken place in Slovenia over the weekend. And they led all the way, the uh, British women's four, literally until the last 250 metres when Romania came storming through in a new record time. Uh, so a second place uh, for the women's four, but lots to work on ahead of the World Championships, which happened later on in the summer. But it was a an absolutely brilliant performance from British rowing in the Europeans. Of course, you've got to add, when you get the Worlds, you start adding America, Australia, New Zealand, uh, and some big uh, teams in there. So to perform as well as they have at the European Championships, they ended the weekend top of the medal table, five golds, three silver, two bronze, and a solid start is how the GB Rowing Performance Director Louise Kingsley has described it. Uh, she's a former guest on Great British Bosses, if you want to go back and have a listen. A couple of headlines that really leapt out for me, uh, apart from Helen Glover, I thought the men's eight absolutely uh, incredible but it was such a close finish again the Romanians came storming through the rampaging Romanians I think is a, a good way of describing them they won Britain just by 0.05 seconds so that was quite incredible uh, Emily Craig and Imogen Grant were world champions and they're still unbeaten uh, because they were European champions again in the lightweight double skulls, which was fantastic. Uh, Lauren Rolls, the double Paralympic champion. Her new partner, Greg Stevenson, put in one of the performances of the weekend with the world's best time in the para-mixed double skulls. And the men's 4-1. And it'd be great to get the men's 4, wouldn't it, back uh, in a world championship winning position and the head of the Olympics in Paris uh, next year. They won. And a big shout-out as well uh, to the para-mixed 4 with Erin Kennedy as Cox, Frankie Allen, uh, Gidra Grakutska, Ed Fuller and Morgan Feast-Noise. They dominated this, the Paralympic champions, and Erin, of course, returning to the team after being given the all-clear from breast cancer. So a brilliant weekend for British rowing. Not every success, but certainly, as Louise Kingsley said, something to build on. Yeah, a great regatta. And let me say this, actually, what a venue. I mean, when Disney or Warner Brothers or 20th Century Fox, one of those big media players, wants to buy this podcast out <laughs> and we're in a land of financial milk and honey, <laughs> that is on my bucket list as an event I would like to go. I'd like to go and see a rowing regatta yeah. there in Slovenia. It just looks absolutely unbelievable. unbelievable I thought Rio venue. was pretty cool. Rio was pretty cool, but we've done that. I'm moving on. I'm looking to the future. I'll tell you what else I'd like to do. I'd like to go to Gotsis in Austria mm. and see the heptathlon there because let's just transition into athletics now. Katarina Johnson-Thompson finished second in Gotsis with a score of 6,556 points. That included a new personal best in the shot put. Bodes well ahead of the World Championships later this year after what's been a bit of a wretched spell for her of injury. And there was room for improvement, certainly in a couple of those events as well. Austria, as I've mentioned, always hosting 
a special event. It's another one on my sporting bucket list to visit. It was won by the American Anna Hall, by the way. A very impressive points mm. total of 6,988. Only four athletes have ever broken 7,000 points. And what was interesting before that final event, Katrina Johnson-Thompson was really urging Anna Hall on to try and break the 6,000 points. Going back to that theme, and it is a theme of this podcast, of sportsmanship, isn't mm. it? Because you don't normally see the gold and the silver medalist, the silver medalist urging the gold medalist onto an even better performance. For Katarina, best points total since uh, World Championships win in Doha in 2019. Remember, no Nafi Tiam, though, in Austria. Mm. Nafi Tiam of Belgium. Those are the three to watch, I think, in Budapest. Staying uh, with track and field. Well done, Hannah Cockcroft. Stunning performance. Stunning performance in Switzerland. Another world record for Hannah Cockcroft in the T34 100 metres, her time of 16.31, beating a record that Hannah Cockcroft already held. Uh, we should mention Danny Sibri as well, who set the second fastest T54, 5,000 metres time in history, in a race where he went quicker than the previous world record. Uh, the new world record, though, was won by Marcel Hoog, who, of course, we saw in London at the marathon winning there. And a quick note about the Diamond League in Rabat. Morgan Lake, fifth in the high jump. Jeremiah Azu, seventh in the 100 metres. Lawrence Akoi, fourth in the discus. And talking of the Diamond League, more big names have been confirmed for the anniversary games. The London Diamond League meeting at the Olympic Stadium, the London Stadium in Queen Elizabeth Olympic Park. Three-time world champion Sharika Jackson will go up against Dina Asher-Smith in the 100 metres, which will be worth seeing on Sunday, July 23rd. And two-time world 100 10 metre hurdles champion Grant Holloway, also of the US, also joins a world class lineup. And talking of the US, a world record over the weekend at the Los Angeles Grand Prix, Ryan Kruser threw 23.56 metres to break his own world shot put record. Now, he didn't just beat it. He beat it by nearly 20 centimetres, 19 centimetres to be precise. He beat his own world record. Absolutely incredible throwing uh, from Ryan Kruser. World Athletics confirmed the timetable for next year's World Athletics Indoor Championships being staged in Glasgow. Athletes will compete on the 1st to the 3rd of March in 2024. Women's pentathlon will get the action underway on the morning of day one. The finals will feature in each of the six sessions. Now, event organisers are calling on Scotland's craft and design community to showcase their creative talent with an exciting opportunity to design the championships medals. And all this as it will be called the Short Track Championships. We're getting rid of the terminology indoors. Now it's a Short Track Championships, which means, of course, it could technically now be staged outdoors. Uh, the mm. World Athletics Council is supporting the concept of short track competition to allow more flexibility in the setting uh, with 200-metre tracks, which, as I said, may in the future then be able to be constructed outdoors or in some imaginative temporary city locations rather than in a traditional indoor arena. And I'm a big fan, as you know, of an imaginative temporary city location for a sporting event. Yeah, we've kind of seen that, haven't we, with like the Manchester Games and, and the like. Um, it would be nice to see a bit more of that, I think, from an athletics point of view, just to try and get themselves out there and, and noticed a little bit more. This is Anything But Footy, the Olympic and Paralympic Sport Podcast. Stay with us because John has got lots to say about the French Open tennis next. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. 
We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. This is Anything But Footy, the Olympic and Paralympic sport podcast. Now, John started this episode by talking about how much he loves this time of year. And I know why, because SW19 is <laughs> honing into view for you. And I know what a special place, what a special event the All England Tennis Championships is for you. And, of course, we are getting to that point now where we really sort of warm up. We have the traditional curtain raisers on the grass courts. But before that... The clay of Roland Garros is calling. Yeah, you said you wanted to go to a world championship rowing in, in Slovenia and Gotsis. I think Roland Garros might be on my bucket list. And maybe when we go to the Olympics next year, because the tennis is going to be held there and yeah. from an Olympic point of view, like Wimbledon was for London 2012, I think I might be able to go there and see Rafa Nadal on the clay before he, 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 he actually retires. That might be, it might be my Neymar in the Maracanã moment. Uh, <laughs> That'll the, be where you're basically asking me to take pictures of you, <laughs> isn't it? I'm, I'm going to be your social media manager for that day. Exactly. I've always fancied, I mean, I'm talking, if we're talking sporting bucket lists, I've always fancied a weekend that involves the Monaco Grand Prix Yeah. and then get yourself up to Roland Garros for a bit of French Open tennis. I think that would be pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Michael's going to talk about the French in the triathlon a bit later on in the podcast so that is to come but let's talk tennis no Andy Murray of course at the French Open and no British women in the singles draw for the first time in a Grand Slam major since 2009 that's 14 years now Emma Redacanu, of course would have been included but she is out injured and she misses Wimbledon as well but unfortunately Katie Bolter Harriet Dart and Fran Jones all lost in qualifying uh, earlier as well and as I say no Andy Murray and it was really close by the end of day two at the French Open it was really close that we actually had no British men in the draw either because on day one Dan Evans lost in straight sets uh, to Thanasis Kokonakis who of course was the Australian wild card at the uh, in the French Open and he was the man who took Andy Murray to the longest gay uh, match ever five hours 45 minutes in the Australian Open earlier this year but he had a straight sets victory over 20th seed Dan Evans so he went uh, Jack Draper was making his debut for Great Britain uh, Thomas Echeverry uh, the 23 year old Argentinian up against our 21 year old uh, Draper who reached the quarterfinals in Lyon last week. Unfortunately, though, he had to serve underarm for much of the first set. He only lost it 6-4. I mean, he must have a heck of a serve if he can do that with an underarm. Uh, and then brought a trainer on court, uh, but he retired after losing the first game in the second set. So he's out as well. And Cameron Norrie, of course, 27-year-old Wimbledon semi-finalist. His dad, David, uh, from Glasgow, born and bred there. Uh, he was a set-up against uh, Benoit Paire, uh, of uh, another French wild card, but then lost the next two sets, 6-4, 6-3. He won the next one, 6-1, but there was a breakdown in the final set, but he fortunately came through to win that 6-4 um, against uh, Paire, who actually Cameron Norrie beat at the US Open last year. And Pear said at that point he would retire. I think Cameron Norrie, who's the 14th seed, would have wished he'd retired before that match. But he's safely through. So we have a Brit in the second round of the French Open. But I think it's really interesting um, from a British point of view that the LTA, the Lawn Tennis Association, gets £50 million a year from the All England Championships. Um, £43 million, I think they got last year. Um, and we don't have a single female singles player playing 
in a Grand Slam for the first time in 14 years. The spin from the LTA is that uh, Henry Patton, Julian Cash, Alicia Barnett and Olivia Nichols are all making their debut in the doubles. So something to look forward to there. And Alfie Hewitt and Gordon Reed will also be looking to become the most successful men's wheelchair doubles partnership at Roland Garros, uh, having just won the Barcelona doubles at last weekend too. But from my point of view, Michael, really, I think it's going to see how um, Roland Garros is without Rafa Nadal, because it's the first time in 15 years he hasn't been there. He's the defending champion. Will, of course, Novak Djokovic, who easily won his opening round match against Kovacevic of the USA. Uh, will he go ahead of Nadal in this Grand Slam race, going for a record 23 Grand Slam title? Or will world number one Carlos Alcaraz uh, win that? And then in the women's draw, is it going to be a Schwiatek of Poland, the defending champion, again? Or will Sabalenka, who won the Australian Open, perform and really challenge her? Now, the big story in the first couple of days at Roland Garros is that Sabalenka uh, obviously is a neutral for this tennis tournament, but she is a, a from Belarus, played the Ukraine's Marta Koschuk, uh, and she won Sabalenka 6-3, 6-2, and then booze filled the stadium. Now, Sabalenka thought that the fans were booing her, but they actually weren't. They were booing Kostyuk because she didn't shake her hand before or after the game and the match. Now, Sabalenka previously said she understands why Kostyuk hates her, but she has been very vocal and said no one supports war. So for this is something we've talked about a lot on the podcasts about whether athletes should come out and say things. She has said that. However, Kostyuk... The 20-year-old from the Ukraine said the French fans should be embarrassed. Now, there is a little bit of history in France. They have a love-hate relationship with Djokovic and Serena Williams in the past. I remember her being booed on, uh, on Roland Garros. But for me, this was opened up a huge question. I wanted to just get your view on it, Michael. Because tennis is one of the few sports implementing a plan that the Olympics have said, which is neutral athletes allowing Russia and Belarusians to compete. And that's what Thomas Bach wants for Paris next year at the Olympics. He's held, the president of the IOC, held up tennis as an example. He says it's working in tennis, so why not would it work at the Olympics? But A, this isn't working, but what a reaction from the fans. And is it, who, who, who is right? And I suppose it's an impossible thing to say who is right or who is wrong. But is, I suppose my question is, is sport so important that nothing else matters, i.e. that Ukraine and Belarusians athletes should compete against each other? And the Olympics and sport, of course, they always say they don't want to mix with politics. But actually, is sport part of life? And so it should reflect what's happening in the world. It's a huge part of life. It's a massive part of the national fabric, um, certainly in this country, Great Britain, where we broadcast our podcast from and mm. It's certainly something we've been told by numerous guests on Great British Bosses, our, our sister podcast, uh, about the importance of sport. But that's not to say that sport is the biggest thing uh, in the world at the moment. I remember when Thomas Buck first made the comments that he did about it working in tennis and, you know, the IOC will follow that blueprint. And yeah. I remember saying to you at the time that what Thomas Buck will do is watch and wait and they will not make a decision the IOC about the Olympics uh, until they really have to they'll leave it as late as they can and they'll be watching what is happening at Roland Garros they'll watch it at Wimbledon they'll be keeping a watching brief across everything uh, which involves athletes neutral athletes if you like from Belarus and Russia 
Um, and they will then, I think, be formulating their plans. So, yes, I think this will be a very interesting week as far as the workload is um, for the IOC in Switzerland. They will have watched this closely. They will have noted, I think, what's happened this week. And they will, of course, then, I think, be making the necessary moves to try and ensure that that doesn't then happen on the Olympic stage. But, you know, we've seen similar things. We've seen, you know, handshakes refused between athletes of different nations for various reasons happen at Olympic Games in the past. And I'm sure we will again. Um, but I think what Thomas Buck and, you know, the rest of the members of the International Olympic Committee will be thinking about at the moment is, you know, they've still got over a year to their games. There's a lot that could happen in the geopolitical world between now and then. And as I said, you know, back on that podcast, when, when the IOC first released that st statement about it, they will just be watching and they'll be waiting. And I think it's we started this section talking about the All England Club at Wimbledon. It'll be interesting to see because obviously for the first time we will have Russians and Belarusians as neutral athletes competing at Wimbledon. It'll be interesting to see what f reaction is from the fans there. On to our news from the Games, and we'll start in Poznan at the Canoe Sprint World Cup event. Trevor Thompson and Nur Dembele finished eighth in their C final of the KT 500 metres. James Russell finished fifth in the K1 5000 metres final. Matt Johnson finished 12th in the same event. Elsewhere, Russell also finished first in the K1 1000 metres C final. And Lewis Fletcher finished first in the K1 200 metres B final. With the continued absence of a certain Tom Daly, Andrea Spenderlini Syriax continues to be the talk of British diving as she reclaimed her women's platform British title at the British Diving Championships in Sheffield at the weekend. The Dive London athlete and European champion led throughout, finishing with a total score of 344.20 points. The triumph adds to her platform title at the British National Diving Cup back in February and completes the domestic double ahead of a summer that includes the European Games, which is coming up next month, and the World Aquatics Championships as well. Uh, watch out for her as we build up to the Olympics. I think she's going to be a huge name. And Kyle Kathari uh, won the men's 10-metre platform. Combat Sports will have news of a world champion in Taekwondo in a moment for you. But in judo at the Austrian Grand Prix, congratulations to Kelly Peterson Pollard, who won a silver medal. That was British judo's one medal at the event. And elsewhere, as we said in Combat Sports, Taekwondo World Championships taking place in Baku. As we record, uh, day one is coming to an end. First up for GB Taekwondo, double Olympic champion Jay Jones. Unfortunately for Jay Jones, lost in the quarterfinal. But Tokyo medalist Bradley Sindon from Yorkshire won the gold medal for day Woo! one. It's his second world title, another British world champion. So congratulations to Bradley Sindon. Later this week, Lauren Williams, Mohamed Noor, Rebecca McGowan, Madison Moore, Farzad Mansouri and Bianca Cook all in action. I think we should talk more about Bradley Sindon in a future episode because it's literally just happened <laughs> as we are recording. So there's not much more I can add because all I know is that he won the gold medal at this point in time. But congratulations, a world champion, not too shabby. Exactly, well said. Uh, Lee Valley Hockey Centre is playing host to a mini pro league tournament with Great Britain, Belgium, China and India all in action. The British men won their both their ties at the weekend, 4-2 against India and 3-1 against Belgium. Uh, the British women going down 3-2 to Belgium in their match and then after beating the Chinese on the Friday by a goal to nil. There are more matches coming up this coming weekend, so the first weekend in June on the Olympic Park. Triathlon and congratulations to Georgia Taylor-Brown and Alex Yee 
both winners in the World Championship Series event in Sardinia. That's two out of two uh, for Alex Yee. And Georgia Taylor-Brown follows Sophie Caldwell and Beth Potter as a winner in the women's event. So five out of six wins so far in the World Championship Series for British triathlon. The European Championships in Madrid next. And you know what I'm about to say, don't you? Go on. You should watch the British triathletes. I think it's going to be a really, really good Olympic Games for them next year in Paris, where I think their closest rivals might just be the French. Yeah, who finished, I think, in the women's third, fourth and fifth. Yeah, um, yeah, in the, in, very, yeah, yeah, exactly. Very loaded Great Britain and France. It's going to be some dust up next year. It's going to be superb. Uh, talking of British success, skateboard GB rider Sky Brown, who's now 14 years of age. Yes, how years are flying by. Uh, took the gold medal at the World Skate Pro Tour Championships in San Juan in Argentina over the weekend. Uh, the second Olympic qualifying event for the Paris 24 Olympic Games. Obviously, she said she was stoked to get a score that was in the 90s, but also great watching all the other girls pushing it to the next level. So well done to Sky Brown and Skateboard GB. And talking of Paris, ticket sales for the Olympic Games an unprecedented success, say organisers. 14 months to go until the opening ceremony in Paris 24 has already sold more than 70% of the 10 million tickets available for the Olympic Games. And the next stage in the Games experience, the Paralympic Games, is announcing ticket sales, which will open on October 9th. Ian Reid is the new chair of Commonwealth Games Scotland. He was most recently, you might recall. CEO of the Birmingham 2022 Commonwealth Games Organising Committee, which I think we all judged was a huge success. Mm. Previously served as the Chief Financial Officer of the Glasgow 2014 Games. He will take over from current chair Paul Bush following the Commonwealth Games Scotland AGM in late May. Now, I said at the start of this podcast that this is my favourite time of the year. So please check out the sporting calendar because literally every weekend that comes along, you're going to want to know what is happening as we build up to Paris 2024 next summer. And also with all our latest blogs on the website, anythingbutfooty.com. And as ever, you can get in touch at any time at Anything But F on Twitter or message us on Insta or Facebook. I can only really echo what you've said there. I don't think we've ever kept it a secret, have we? That we love this time of year for sport. The Premier League season, that's a sport called football. It's over. It's gone. Just the FA Cup final, then the small match of the Champions League final to worry about as far as English football fans are concerned. Hopefully then, for you, the opportunity to watch some other sports. Taekwondo, the World Championships this week. Why not follow our British triathletes European Championship action in Madrid coming soon? Catch some French Open tennis and then you could talk as long as John is able to talk about it and then look forward to Wimbledon and start planning to catch as much of cycling's World Championships as you possibly can. That's going to be in Glasgow. We've got the Open Golf, the Diamond League Athletics. That's coming to London before Budapest and the Worlds. And we are seeing some fantastic results domestically with just over a year to Paris. You can really, really feel it. It's all bubbling up again, and I'm excited. Sports Social Podcast Network.
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.